Hey, everybody. Don't skip this. It's not an ad. In fact, it's me, Adam, host of this podcast you're about to listen to. Just a heads up that this is an older episode that was originally released back in November 2018. It's about Project Blue Book, which was one of the government's earliest efforts to investigate the UFO phenomenon. We're releasing it again now for a couple of reasons. One, the Pentagon finally released that UFO report the world has been waiting on. And oh man, let me tell you, it is some boring bullshit. I was going to include an update about it in this episode because if nothing else, it's interesting that nearly 70 years after the events of today's episode, we find ourselves in pretty much the exact same spot as we were back then in terms of UFOs. People are seeing a bunch The government acknowledges that they don't know what they are, but they also assure us they're nothing to worry about. But honestly, there's not enough in that UFO report to even include an update about it. Go read it. You'll see what I mean. It's like nine pages long. But we're also releasing this episode again because it ties into something we've been talking about a bunch on this show lately, which is that huge batch of UFO files the CIA released a few months back. I've been teasing an episode drawn from those files about a guy named Leon Davidson, whose name comes up a lot in those files. Because this Project Blue Book episode is so closely tied to what Leon Davidson was working on, I decided to just make what would have been a short solo episode about him into a series of updates that I'll drop in throughout this episode. You'll know one of those updates is coming when you hear this sound. And hey, Now that you've heard it, let's get to one of those updates right away, because I'm assuming you have a pretty big question right now. Who the hell is Leon Davidson? Well, the short answer is that he was a chemical engineer and a scientist. He worked for the government for a while as part of the Manhattan Project, of course. His interest in flying saucers began in New Mexico in 1949. There was a local epidemic of, quote, green fireballs, end quote, during the previous year. And that had led to the formation of one of the first flying saucer study groups, the Los Alamos Astrophysical Association. He says in a book that he published in 1966, which I'll get into more a little bit later, that a private showing of the Tremonton films during this time convinced him that flying saucers must indeed be real. I don't know if you remember, but one of the first CIA UFO files we did was about some of the more interesting sightings from those files, and the Tremonton UFOs come up in that episode. Anyway, while working in Washington in 1952, he says he saw classified photos of a Navy-guided missile, which disproved to him all of the Air Force denials that the U.S. had no devices which looked like some of the flying saucers that were being reported to the public. He also claims that while trying to clear a proposed article reporting this, he was paid a visit by a team of three men from the Office of Naval Intelligence, the Army Counterintelligence Corps, and the Inspector of Naval Material, and that the, quote, ONI man wore black, incidentally, for the information of those readers who have heard about saucer researchers being silenced after a visit. From three men in black. So if you're earning yourself a visit from the men in black way back in the 50s, obviously you're a big thorn in the side of the government. And in this case, especially in the side of the CIA, because back when UFOs were first becoming a thing the government was interested in, if you look through those CIA files, you're going to see Leon Davidson's name a whole lot. So in addition to Project Blue Book, this episode is also about the exploits of Leon Davidson. And now that you're ready for all that, Let's get to the show. Thanks. We love you. People of Earth, your planet has to be destroyed. Welcome to Conspiracy, the show, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Connor McSpavin. All right, let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conspiracy, the show. Nice. Because it's got the exclamation so point. Jaunty. Saying it so jaunty. So jaunty. I love strong. it. If you listened to last week's episode, that means you're a fucking Patreon subscriber and a goddamn <laughs> champion, <laughs> hero to the world. Uh, and if you did, you know my lineup from last week. 
my bevy of guests. The same. That's right. The same as twas before. <laughs> Tis again. That was a really impressive costume you just put on. Thank you very <laughs> yeah. much. I love the cape. Yeah. That's Danger Van Gorder. Hi, everybody. Olivia Hydar is here. Hi, yes. Hello. Hi. That's me. Uh, I love that your last name also has a greeting in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's fun. And Revores Langley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> last week we talked about Project Sign, which was one of the government's early studies into UFOs and aliens and things of the like. And this week we're talking about Project Blue Book, yeah. which is the big government study into mm-hmm. UFOs. And almost it's less of a government study into UFOs and more of a government campaign against the idea that UFOs exist. Yeah, especially towards the end. It really Yeah, it uh, turns into a debunking yeah. campaign. Which is which is very interesting cuz it kind of it began as that and then the people who got involved decided they wanted to make it not that. They wanted right. to make it more neutral and then as time went on and more bureaucratic people went in charge, then it ended up becoming more of that again. Yeah. The CIA gets involved at one point, which uh, always a red flag. Mm. Yep. Uh, so Project Blue Book, <laughs> let's talk about it. Started in 1952 and wasn't shut down until 1969. So this is one of those wacky 50s and 60s government programs that, like, this is just what we were up to at the time. Yeah. It was so, and probably still now, it's but so good, we're though. better at hiding it. I just love this shit yeah. so much. Like, but back <laughs> then, we were like, are we going to be the Nazis, too? Like, are we just going to oppress everyone? Like, it was... And then it turns and, out, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we sure are. We are. Yeah. Bingo. But we also kind of weirdly believe in magic a little bit. Yeah. Like, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of uh, quasi-supernatural uh, stuff involved hey, the, here. Nazis believed in magic, too, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's why they were after the uh, the old uh, Ten Commandments yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. I've seen Hellboy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or accurate. Constantine. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love the man in the high castle. Yeah, yeah yep. Raiders, uh, which mm-hmm. and uh, Last Crusade. Project Blue Book had two goals: one, to determine if UFOs were a threat to national security, and two, to scientifically analyze UFO-related data. And I said this in the last episode, and I stand by it. Project Blue Book ends up being like what the EPA is now. Mm -hmm. where at one point we have actual scientists who maybe we don't know what they thought going into climate change research, but at one point they're all like, whoa, this is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And the government that funds their budget was like, no, it's not. Uh How about you write that a little different? (laughs) Yeah. We'll make sure you stay funded. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They collected and analyzed thousands of reports of UFOs. The name refers to the blue booklets used for testing at some colleges and universities uh, and and it was thought that uh, Wait, is it for Scantron machines? I think so, it's something like that. Yeah. No, no, that's for essay writing. Like oh, okay. you, 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 if you had an essay to write, it would be in that very specific yeah, blue I remember. book. Yeah. Well, I, and there was also the theory that uh, aliens were telling us how much cars were worth, and so that was also. Oh, sure, idea. sure. <laughs> so it was this whole yeah the Kelly conspiracy. the Kelly aliens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're from Mars. And uh, it was because study of UFOs at the time was, and this is a quote, as important as a college exam. Mm. What? Yeah. I, Too seems cute a little more far. high level than that. Yeah. It, it's it's one of those where you're like, you know what? I actually didn't need to know. Yeah, why yeah. it was called that. It sounds way. <laughs> it sounds like a bunch of fucking nerds uh, named this. It probably was like Blue Book sounds mysterious and cool, and then what? you find out it's actually a goddamn Blue Book from college. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I love about this though is that most of the people involved are. Giant fucking nerds. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> right. That's how you kind. It lends it a little bit of credibility because they're just like these stodgy, uptight. Like <laughs> you know, you picture your classic fifties man with like the flat top, right, and right, horn rim glasses. That's a man's got a pocket protector. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and like to me, that lends credibility to <laughs> oh, a lot yeah. of the st- their findings. We'll call it Project, you know, whatever. Louder Business Administration <laughs> College. <laughs> Uh, so the first head of Project Blue Book, interestingly enough, Captain Edward J. Rappel. He wrote the 1956 book that first revealed the existence of Project Sign and the estimate of the situation. The estimate of the situation. <laughs> he officially coined the term unidentified flying object. All right. Yeah. 
So he is really one of the pioneers uh, yeah, he, of yeah. UFO He's in the research. history books. I mean, yeah. that's... What he did at Project Blue Book, they basically analyzed all of these reports of UFOs. There were just thousands and thousands of them in the 50s and 60s. And he streamlined the manner in which they were reported to and by military officials because he wanted to alleviate that stigma that came with saying, hey, I saw a UFO. Right. As this project progresses, the government sort of turns that around and mm-hmm. makes the project just about being able to stigmatize and discredit people who come out with reports like this. Yeah. Yeah. He ordered the development of a standard questionnaire for UFO witnesses and commissioned the Battelle Memorial Institute to create the questionnaire and computerize the data. Used all of this data to conduct a massive study of all Air Force UFO cases. Completed in 1954, it was called Project Blue Book Special Report Number 14. I thought the first 13 were good. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they were all right. A little uh, dense. All right, we have hit an important point on this journey. Blue Book Special report number 14. Leon Davidson has a really interesting book floating around out there about Blue Book special report number 14. It is, appropriately enough, titled Flying Saucers, an analysis of the Air Force Project Blue Book special report number 14. He first published this in 1956. Third edition came out in 1966. It's one of those books where if you try to buy it on Amazon, you're going to pay like $500 But also you can just Google around and find PDF versions of it everywhere. I link to one in the show notes even. In the book, he presents evidence to support his theory that the CIA was planning to use UFOs for psychological warfare purposes. And the first part of the book deals with the early press releases that the Air Force put out after Roswell. He talks about sending letters to the Secretary of Defense and a bunch of other groups and individuals in 1953, where he pointed out that the Air Force's attitude at the time of kind of ridiculing and operationally ignoring flying saucer sightings could allow an enemy to send aircraft or missiles through our defenses pretty easily just by putting enough flashing lights on them to cause them to be reported as flying saucers. And what's really interesting is that one of the replies he receives claims any research into UFOs ended in 1949, which by now we all know is not even sort of true. And you can read all of these replies from the various government entities in the book. But then in 1952, he gets another reply saying that, no, the Air Force has not stopped looking into UFOs. They just moved it from a special project to being a part of their regular activities. And then another reply later in 1952 added a declaration that none of the things people were seeing were United States military projects. And that's a big point of emphasis in the first part of this book. That declaration or similar declarations come up in various documents presented in the book. And every time they do, the paragraph where they're contained is highlighted in some way usually by surrounding it with brackets. And the reason he does that is to point out that later on, the Air Force contradicts itself because there's another memo that they put out. Basically, at this point in history, the Air Force was putting out a yearly statement about UFOs and flying saucers. And at one point, one of these statements says that they have no evidence that the U.S. is being observed by machines from outer space or any foreign country. So that really leaves only one possibility, right? That some of these things people are seeing are from the United States. That's definitely the conclusion Leon Davidson arrived at, because the next thing that happens is that he sends a letter to the Security Review Branch at the Office of Public Information for security review and maybe a comment from the government about it. And the article was all about how the Air Force quietly admitted that some UFO sightings were actually the result of U.S. military projects. And as mentioned previously, this is the point where he gets that Men in Black visit. And this article will come up again later. What's interesting about the book, though, is that he pairs a lot of the official statements from the Air Force right alongside other official documents that prove they're lying. Case in point, He gets a reply regarding that proposed article that reads in part, We have nothing which spins through the air like a disc, pulsates, glows, dematerializes, changes color, goes from a mid-air standstill to supersonic speed, soundlessly glides through the sonic barrier, 
or turns at square angles in full sight, as some ciders report. And he pairs that with a 1953 report about a new military project called the Hell Roarer, which disappointingly is just a device used for taking nighttime aerial photos of enemy installations. But some features of the Hell Roarer, torpedo-like 12-foot cylinder, fuel is atomized magnesium powder, which puts out an intense light of approximately 10 million candle power. And it also says in that document that during test flights, nearby police and field offices were besieged with phone calls reporting UFOs. So while the Air Force was claiming that none of these sightings were related to military projects, that Hellroarer memo makes it pretty clear that they weren't being honest. And that is how Leon Davidson initially gets his suspicions around what's happening with UFOs raised. And all right, that's all for this update. I'll be back in a bit. For now, let's get back to the show. The thing about this guy, he took the job really seriously. Mm -hmm. If anyone got too, like he wanted an objective analysis of what was happening. Yeah. And he didn't want people who were kind of like with their preconceived notions either way. He didn't want people who were too uh, insistent that UFOs were real. And he didn't want people who were too insistent that they were fake. And if like anyone... I said last time, you don't want too many molders, you don't want too many skulls. <laughs> exactly. Let's get a whole team of skinners right down yeah, the fucking middle. Exactly. And they're all and it, also people from varying different viewpoints, like people who might lean one way or the other, but aren't letting it affect their uh, judgment. Right. Uh, he issued regular press releases and monthly classified reports, and uh, like we said, possibly the last government official who looked into UFOs in any sort of serious manner. Did I imagine, or is there a Trump thing with UFOs? Like when he got in there, he was like, he said something very direct about it. He's like, if there's UFOs, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get to the bottom Wasn't it Clinton who said that? Well, I know Clinton did because X-Files was huge. He was just riding the times. But I swear to God, I think Trump, when he... he, uh, I think we're thinking of Independence Day. Oh, am I? Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) Sarah Sanders won't say whether Trump believes in UFOs. What oh, asshole boy. was asking about this? <laughs> Who was like, you know what? They, we need to take a, take a brief yeah, time well, out. Well, they Slow let InfoWars in the press rooms. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> they should get that out of the way day one. Just yeah. let all the fringe sites come in and be like, UFOs, what's your take? <laughs> let's hear it. <laughs> so let's talk about the Robertson panel. Please. This is This is the point where the government starts sort of turning on Project Blue Book where they, they're they researching this from a not skeptical and not too believing, like sort of like a centrist sort of viewpoint right. on UFOs. And this incident happens in July 1952. It's one of the more famous UFO incidents where there's just all of these radar and visual s- sightings of unidentified flying objects around Washington, D.C. Oh, yes. That's so awesome. There's seven of them, right? Yeah. And they're mm-hmm. flying all over the Capitol and shit. Fucking rules. And <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That happens in 1952, and this led the CIA, so fucking red flag yeah. alert <laughs> yeah. right there, uh, led the CIA to establish a panel of scientists headed by Dr. H.P. Robertson, a physicist at the California Institute of Technology. They first met in January 1953. This part blows my fucking mind. They spent 12 hours reviewing six years of data before concluding that most UFO reports had real-world explanations and that all of them could be explained with a little more research, but that doing that research wasn't that important. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's not real, dude. 12 hours. Yeah, right. That feels like... The CIA saying, hey, will you go in and fucking break this up? Yeah. Please, so we don't have to... Science this and tell us that it's fake. Yeah, exactly. Danger. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah. Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm going to edit out when you plug your Patreon at the end. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Okay, all right. In in college, like I I always thought that like um, uh, crop circles were really pretty. I'm like, oh, those are really cool. Where do they come from? And I looked into it, and like, it's just it's just two kids with a plank of wood and some string, right? And yeah. you can do some really impressive stuff with that. So I was like, well, that sounds dumb. That's what I looked into when I saw it. But I uh, came across this other thing called fairy circles. Um, which was something that was reported a lot um, in like the Middle Ages into you know the uh, the early uh, 20th century or so, and that's like a little spot in a field uh, that was mysteriously flattened, and that's what eventually became you know people took that idea and ran with it and started doing like these crop circle stuff. But like that got me to this book called, uh, and I don't know if you'll be able to find this because it was hard to find back in the day, but Amazon's pretty you know Passport to Magonia. Terrible title for a very, very interesting book. The whole thesis is human beings have been seeing visitors throughout our entire history. Yeah. Those visitors have always matched our technological advancement. So, like, uh, Olivia, I think you mentioned in the in the, the last episode, uh, you know, back in the day, they saw chariots. And right. they, they, the, the gods coming down on chariots, and there'd be great wheels of fire in the sky, and then, like, cartwheels. And then they'd say, all right, there was these uh, men and beasts in, on carts flying through the air. Um, I remember they, they, uh, um, the book opens with an example of uh, uh, finding this giant um, stone lid to uh, a, you know, a sarcophagus or a coffin in Latin America. And like, looking at it, it looks like a, uh, a, a Mesoamerican from the you know, 1400s, you know, 13th century or whatever it is, uh, is operating a spaceship. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, but that's just because they didn't know what they were looking at. If you turn it from the side, you realize that, oh, no, no, this, um, this uh, uh, figure is being birthed from the ground, and there's all this like crazy like lava effects, and that's what people were misinterpreting as he's operating... Uh, this this spaceship. But I mean, like... So that's all. They were just seeing a god birthing from a volcano. Uh, Sure. (laughs) Nothing weird. No, no. And it's a really really compelling image, but the book then goes on to talk about how, like, no, human beings see visitors. There's something in our minds. I'm sure it's connected to our propensity to faith, you know, because people feel visitations from higher powers. Um, and I feel like a lot of uh, uh, of UFOs, a lot of uh, um, uh, alien visitation comes from that exact same place. Because it used to be fairies. Baby volcano gods? It could be a baby volcano god. Who knows? Well, it uh, it reminds me of uh, the airships uh, of the early 1900s. Do you guys know about the, the airship mm-hmm. sightings? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, like uh, there's a place in Texas that reported that like a big airship like crashed and they buried the uh, the beings in the town yeah. cemetery. But there that but similar to what yeah. you what you were talking about, where uh, it reflects the technology or whatever. And uh, unfortunately, that era gave us uh, steampunk. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh there we go. Best possible <laughs> results. The, the, I, w- the I would say uh, just speaking to that aspect of the of the descriptions of extraterrestrial beings, craft, and things matching the technology of the time i think that could be just as easily attributed and i i'm pretty in the middle about most uh, ufo sightings and that sort of thing there's a few that have been really compelling and there's a few that uh a lot more that have not been yeah, right, i think that's right. why right. this whole compelling. field's so fun <laughs> but like exactly when it comes to when it comes to that specific point i would i would say it's just as likely that perhaps it it's just them using the metaphors that they have available to them at the time. Like right. flying saucers, you wouldn't imagine that it's literally just a saucer in the sky. It's this is the shape that we're or the, you know, the movement pattern or whatever that sure. we're associating with it. And uh, I feel like that, I mean, sure, it could be that it is this uh, ingrained subconscious thing, uh, but it could also be a metaphor. And I yeah. feel like so many of those texts especially the religious ones, are buried under piles and piles of metaphor. Right. My my problem with the, oh, they just didn't know what they were looking at, like that, it requires all of these people to be really primitive and stupid, which mm-hmm. they were no, to and, some extent. Uh, but but, but not, they also like yeah. had maps of the solar system. Yeah. How? I mean, if you study the sky long enough, you'll see the heavenly bodies moving around as they should. But you're not going to get a map out. detailed map. Well, I, that way, I would actually, I would say that you, 
that would be giving uh, ancient astronomers a little too little credit. Yeah, were, people well, that's, were... that's always kind of my thing with the ancient it's aliens. All they had to do at the time was look up and be like, "Yeah, that moved." Like so much of the ancient aliens thing to me is is kind of disrespectful to ancient cultures because yeah. it's like, "Oh, how could these Egyptians build this pyramid?" Exactly. I'm like, I, "Math took a long fucking Math. time, but they managed." I don't when know. you look at some of that, not just the pyramids, but there are some areas where the stonework is shit we can't do today. Like, yes, but that doesn't mean that they weren't able to do it then. Right. Yeah, there right, might but be it methods imp- we don't but know But it does about. imply that they had some sort of advanced machinery that we're not uh, familiar yeah, with. Yeah, but also at the same time, we've also lost uh, untold numbers of documents. Yeah. Right. 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 Talk about Library of Alexandria. I mean, and then, the, you know, you, it, a similar thing that I don't think anyone really tries to associate with aliens is the concept of Damascus steel. Uh, which is one of the strongest metals that humans have ever created, and no one knows how to make it. No one knows still yeah. to this day because the formula was lost in some library, right? right. You know, well, millennia ago. They yeah. talk about things like the Greek fire, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I don't disbelieve any person that says I saw this thing. I think they absolutely saw what they what they claim to see, but I think that. It's entirely possible that they saw something that their mind generated or their mind didn't quite understand. And that's not me making a judgment call and saying, like, they're crazy, because I think the human brain is set up to receive visions um, from other places or from like uh, th- that's how we you know that's where our um uh, our instinct for religion comes from you know we want to hear a higher power and and some of this is uh, um uh confirmation bias where people you know they could look at it in pop- popular culture they see well flying saucers are a thing and they might see something they don't understand um but i mean at the same time yeah like uh, that this book passport to magonia which i can wholeheartedly recommend to everybody in this room it's really fascinating um it just talking about how uh, people can see things without being crazy, uh, and if they don't understand what they're seeing, the mind makes up for that. Um, right, yeah. This see, definitely, uh, and yeah, and that's a valid phenomenon, and I think... That's mythology. That, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a folkloristic kind of approach. And yeah. I think that definitely explains a large number of UFO sightings, but I think the ones that make... UFOs so interesting are the ones where that doesn't apply as easily. Uh, the things where there are multiple confirmed witnesses, yeah. the, the things that we'll be talking about yeah. uh, with regards to Project Blue Book, where there are you know credible witnesses, multiple credible witnesses, technological confirmation, and these sorts of things that confirm that there was a phenomenon. We may it may be aliens, it may not, right. but there was a thing there. Yeah, and we can prove that. Yeah, but, uh, we just don't know what it was. And I, I just, I feel like the explanation too many times comes down to, oh, yes, a dozen people saw it, but none of them knew what they were seeing. Right, it was mass hysteria. It's like, I don't know. I feel like it can't always be mass hysteria. Mm-hmm. That's that's insane. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's get back to this fucking the Robertson. the Robertson panel because this is what this is like the first step in undoing Project Blue Book, right. which up to this point had been legitimately looking into these things in a scientific way. They, like I said, they review six years of data for 12 hours and they come out with this final report. That says uh, all of these can be explained except for the ones that we can't explain, (laughs) which we could explain if we felt like it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they suggest that the Air Force gives up on investigating claims and instead focuses on a debunking campaign to lessen public interest. They suggested debunkery, which is such a great word. That, ooh, that's fun. Through the mass media, including Walt Disney Productions and using psychologists, astronomers, and celebrities to ridicule the phenomenon and put forth prosaic 
or real world explanations. By the way, the animation on You Didn't See Anything, dipshit, is just <laughs> amazing. Weirdly racist. Yeah, and then the follow up, You Stupid Rube, that was Swamp Gas. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> Some of Disney's finest work. It also recommended that civilian UFO groups, quote, should be watched because of the potentially great influence on mass thinking. That seems like a <laughs> conflict to me where they're like, yeah, none of this matters. But also keep an eye on the people who are spreading this. I, we need yeah. To- uh. Also, the people most concerned with with mass thinking. <laughs> Trying yeah. to get rid of yeah. other people. <laughs> I no no no. We can do that. Yeah, yeah. that's our and thing. No, yeah. Yeah. Fuck with everyone's brain. That is very America in the fifties. Of we're gonna have nuclear bombs and no one else can. So oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel like it's kind of uh, wishful thinking though to think that UFO groups could have a influence <laughs> on mass thinking because right. they've never really oh uh, yeah well it's like that shit when you know they sent like uh uh you know cia or fbi or somebody to investigate like peace groups in san francisco and it was yeah. like 60 year old women baking brownies right, right. And, like talking about how yeah. the iraq war was a bad idea <laughs> you're like was it really necessary to send in the fucking fash for this yeah, exactly. <laughs> the only the only thing that i i think would make a difference then is people just didn't have as much to do back then Oh yeah! yeah. Oh, like there was like there were like one or two TV channels, yep. like there three was the, channels, the radio. Like you didn't Shall have. Shall we make some gelatin again? All this <laughs> shit that we have. So like a UFO group, that's a thing that could probably pick up fifty, sixty thousand members. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Grow enough. Yeah, yeah. So in December nineteen fifty three, a joint Army Navy Air Force Regulation one forty six made it a crime for military personnel to discuss classified UFO reports with unauthorized persons violators faced up to two years in prison and or fines of up to ten thousand dollars and in 1953 also the air force issued regulation 200-2 ordering air base officers to publicly discuss ufo incidents only if they were judged to have been solved and to classify all the unsolved cases to keep them out of the public eye Update time. So the report that we're talking about here is that same 1953 UFO report that we've mentioned on all of the CIA UFO episodes so far. It's one of the main points of interest for Leon Davidson. And fittingly enough, there's a whole section in his book that deals with this report. He and eventually even the Air Force fought to have it fully declassified. For the longest time, two paragraphs about how UFOs could be used as false flag attacks for psychological warfare purposes, were classified and omitted from this report. And somehow Davidson got wind of the fact that that was what was in those omitted paragraphs. This is a panel that was convened by the CIA. They requested it and funded it. But by the time this report was due to come out, they and the panel members both decided there should be no mention that the CIA was involved at all. And that changed in 1966 when one of the panel members appeared on CBS and named the CIA as the agency that funded the panel's activities. And I'm sure that guy's career was a total cakewalk from that point on. So in this part of the book, Davidson pays special attention to any sections that show the CIA funded this report to, quote, prepare for a test program to see why people reacted strongly to flying saucer sightings, end quote. He also points to the fact that the CIA failed to include the National Academy of Sciences in this panel as evidence that the agency didn't want an actual scientific study of flying saucers, which is a good point because government policy, at least at the time, kind of dictated that you had to get the National Academy of Sciences involved in an actual scientific study. And also that the report was completely classified at first is pretty sketch. A declassified version of the report was released in 1958, and that's how it initially came to Davidson's attention. So from there, he starts firing off letters to various government agencies to find out what they know about this panel, and he gets some really interesting replies. One of the most interesting comes from Project Blue Book member Edward J. Repelt, who we've been talking about a bunch on this episode, and his reply kind of confirms Davidson's suspicions about why the panel was started. Here's a sort of creepy quote from the letter he received from Edward Rappelt. The panel's major reason for recommending that the UFO investigation program be expanded 
I understood from the discussion was to learn why so-called experienced people went into a tizzy whenever a UFO was reported. I do not care to discuss this aspect further, but I believe you can realize the problem and why I didn't pursue the point in my book. Huh, I wonder what that meant. There's also a four-page letter from U.S. Air Force Major Lawrence Tacker that confirms the redacted portion of the panel report deals not with UFOs, but with intelligence matters and national security. And then there's another interesting correspondence that comes in the form of a letter from a scientist who wasn't an official part of the panel, but who did attend a briefing session in the early days of the convening of that panel. He claims he had a conversation in that briefing where he stated his belief that what people were seeing in the skies were just mirages or natural phenomena leading to this exchange with an unnamed CIA creep. This first line is said CIA creep responding to the suggestion that what people were seeing might just be mirages. Suppose that we granted for a moment that you are correct. Doesn't it occur to you that we might be able to use this information in reverse? You mean as a countermeasure? Exactly! You mean you would like to use this phenomenon, say, to produce an image of Christ over the Kremlin? Yes, that's an excellent example. End of conversation. So if you're wondering what got it in Leon Davidson's head that the CIA might be up to something fishy when it came to this UFO panel, these 1958 replies go a long way toward explaining that. All right, let's get back to the episode. So this really doesn't sound like there's nothing to worry about. Right. <laughs> yeah. None of this makes it seem like the government or at least, honestly believes there's right. nothing here. Nothing that the government would worry about. Because I, right. I don't necessarily think that like your average American would perceive uh, UFOs as a as a threat, but like right. the government is, especially in the fifties, is keyed up to any type of external threat. Right. So the important uh, UFO cases, which I don't know how they defined that at the time, because again, we're talking about uh, they're saying, well, no, let's start like debunking this. But also there's important UFO cases. Yeah. Like, would there be important UFO cases if they were so convinced that UFOs weren't Mm -hmm. a thing? Right. And they start siphoning the more high profile cases away from Project Blue Book. So then everything Project Blue Book gets to investigate is like the bullshit where Mm -hmm. it's just like weather balloons and things. That's kind of where I would want to come in and work for Project Blue Book is like, (laughs) you know, investigating real shit sounds hard, but I would love to just go interview people who's like, I fucking seen three of them. (laughs) All right. They was they was flying. Then they crashed. And then uh, I mean, was was I drunk? Yes. (laughs) Did my woman leave? Yes. But I say, you know, that's what I want. Yeah. (laughs) Interview those guys. Yeah. You maybe wouldn't want to see the real stuff. No. Because then you're going to be like, fuck, we're doomed, aren't we? Yeah. (laughs) No one can explain this. It'd be like getting that job at Facebook where you have to review images that have been reported. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I want that job, dude. (laughs) (laughs) There there have been articles. There's actually someone filed a lawsuit against Facebook. Because Facebook was using contractors to do those jobs. Oh, my God. And God. they were basically bringing people it's just in. just like a Blackwater guy with, like, wraparound Oakleys. Just like, fuck yeah, bro, that is racist. They were bringing oh, people geez. in, but it's not the racist shit. They were pe- bringing people in for, like, six months at a time. And... <laughs> Their entire job for six months was to look at fucking beheadings oh, and bestiality oh and okay. child porn okay. and all of this On really- Facebook? Yeah. <laughs> yes. They're the people who, yeah. when someone posts this shit, they go and take it down. But that <laughs> also means your job is seeing all of this day yeah. after day. Okay. And you get done with that job, and like a lot of these people have PTSD. Well, yeah. see, similar to Project Blue Book, like I don't want to see that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to see where it was just like, well, that bitch thinks she's hot shit. I'm going to report her because fuck her. And it's just, you know, like the weird reports. Is just, you want to be know. like the Judge Judy of it. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, all right, you two just need to work it out. All right? This is a ridiculous case. Don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. So, yeah, by doing all of this, the Robertson panel, basically, they undercut Project Blue Book and basically ended any meaningful investigation that they could do. So eventually repelled requests for reassignment. And for the remainder of the project, 
Blue Book was headed by directors who either just vehemently disagreed with the idea that UFOs existed, or if they did maybe feel like they were on board with it, the government would just cut their funding. Right. So again, it's a lot like the EPA, where if you were- (laughs) Confirmation bias. Like, if you're in charge and you think global warming is a hoax- yeah. The government's going to support you because our current administration wants global warming to be a hoax. Right. Right, right. But they also went to the EPA and were like, don't write about global warming. Just like the CDC can't write about gun violence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, they're exactly. not allowed to do any studies yeah. into gun violence. And that's our government that is right. like, no, we'll take your money away if you look into gun violence. Right. Which is fucked because in both cases, the army is doing both of those things and being right. like, hey, <laughs> we're, we're preparing actively for when the, the seas rise and no one has anywhere to go, you know? Yeah. And also they're looking into, uh, you know, how post-traumatic stress can like affect people who go fucking nuts and, and right. shoot up a fucking school because it happened to them at Fort Hood. So you can't, you know, it's it's one of those things where. Oh, if you want to dig into a juicy conspiracy, look into Mefloquine. It is, is that we, a drug? Yeah, right. we did an episode about it. Oh, I it's, thought you were going to say we did a bunch of it. <laughs> it's, it's oh, it was fucking crazy. Anti-malaria drug that uh, for for starters they used it to torture people at Guantanamo Bay what? because oh, it gives Jesus. you like, oh, like wild nightmares. hallucinations and things. Oh my god! But it also has been implicated in a lot of like army and military related mass shootings. Jesus Christ! And shit because people have to take yeah. it when they're going somewhere that yeah might yeah. have malaria. And you have to take, like, you have to keep taking it. And it's not meant to be taken that way. Yeah. And it, like, yeah. drives people insane. See, I just, I, I missed the British way of dealing with malaria, which was inventing the gin and tonic. Did that work? Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Repelt requested reassignment. And so by the time Project Blue Book Special Report number 14 comes out, he's already gone. Yeah. And this is a... Special report number 14, it was a massive statistical analysis of the Blue Book cases, completed in 1954. They divided all of the reports of UFOs into categories knowns, unknowns, and insufficient information. They broke down the knowns and unknowns into four categories of quality, from poor to excellent, and the criteria for unknowns was especially stringent. Because they didn't want to go public and say, we don't know what this is, if they like could explain it, obviously. Right. Because that would undermine your credibility. 38% were conclusively identified, while 31% were still doubtfully explained. 9% fell into insufficient information. About 22% were deemed unknown. And that number is important. Yeah. Because when the Air Force reports on this later, they change that number to something like 3%. Yeah, it's like 2 or 3% or which, something. There's no reason to do that yep. unless really you're weird. trying to divert people's attention yeah. from something. Every every public statement that they've made about those actual numbers has been like not what's in the actual report. Right. Which is weird considering – Very that, weird. Like that's the whole thing about this report. <laughs> so in the known category, 86% of the knowns were aircraft balloons or had astronomical explanations – only 1.5% of all cases were judged to be psychological or crackpot cases, which yeah. that's interesting to me, too, because that's like the go-to argument is, mm. it's, oh, this fucking crazy person saw a star. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> we don't have to listen to them. Uh, the higher the quality of the case, the more likely it was to be classified as unknown. Which is another really interesting statistic. Right. What they're basically saying there is the more witnesses to these things there are, the less we know about them which that that kind of makes the the argument that the ones we don't know about that also happen to have like the most witnesses and the best details yeah so what is that it's also the ones that they that's the number that they uh the air force constantly plays down and severely minimizes yeah it's like oh a bunch of priests and uh, uh, uh cops and and judges saw uh, an alien do a backflip off the high dive no need to investigate that <laughs> so what's really crazy about this report is those statistics don't point to oh there's nothing here right like there's a lot of unknowns that they like they looked into very seriously and were never able to come up with an explanation for it but then the summary section of this report which, again, was released after Repelt left, 
said it was, quote, highly improbable that any of the reports of the unidentified aerial objects represent observations of technological developments outside the range of present day knowledge. And what a lot of researchers have pointed out is that their summary and their final conclusion doesn't match their research. Right. As if either they didn't want to accept what they had found, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that, shit, this is extraterrestrial, or that someone, again, in the government was like, no, that's not the direction you're going to take this. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to write this and say, there's no evidence, we didn't find anything. And they know that people mostly just read the beginning and end of those right. really long reports. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that happened to me in college a lot. You know, you'd write the uh, the abstract first, yeah, and then you'd actually read the book as you were writing the paper because you didn't actually read it in the first place. <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, William Blake didn't mean that at all." Or <laughs> <laughs> I have a great degree, you guys. So it's at this point I don't have the guy's name in the notes. What was? Oh, uh, J. Allen Hynek. Right. Uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who was brought on with the Robertson Report, uh, the Robertson panel, uh, but then the Robertson pan- panel sent him to work for Project Sign right. as a associate uh, investigator or uh, whatever his title was. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, and he was with uh, this project through from Sign through Grudge and all the way to the end of Blue Book. Right. Uh, and... He came in as a super hardcore skeptic, just came in thinking all of this is bunk. None of this is real. This is all, you know, there is a rational explanation for everything. Right. And what's interesting about him is he's probably seen more of these reports than anyone else. And uh, his general idea now has completely shifted to where he thinks that there are actually a a decent number of these cases that are – reliable and right and could be true yeah and i think that's compelling yeah like that for sure like who would know better than the people who actually saw this stuff and worked mm-hmm. on it and i think with him especially like he when this uh this final report came out i think at the time even he was still kind of like yeah. on the fence and then a few years later was like, eh, I thought about it a little more. Yeah, his not. his views are really interesting and they definitely they evolved uh very slowly over time, but in a way that is uh believable of as someone who is receiving evidence. He was always very candid about uh his uh, uh commanding officers and uh he said that it was only Rupelt and a later guy Captain Friend. I believe. <laughs> yeah, no. He's not an alien. No, no major. Oh, sorry. Ma- major, major friend. He's a major human friend. I am your friend. Major friend. Uh, but he had, uh, he's, th- those are the only two people who headed the project that he had respect for. He said, in my context with him, I found him to be honest and seriously puzzled about the whole phenomenon. And of friend, he wrote, of all the officers I worked with in Blue Book, he's Colonel definitely a human being. <laughs> he is the one who has the most human characteristics. <laughs> <And laughs> definitely. Uh, he earned my respect. Whatever private views he may have held, he was a total and practical realist. And sitting where he could see the scoreboard, he recognized the limitations of his office, but conducted himself with dignity and a total lack of the bombast that characterized several of the other blue book heads. And then he took his glasses off and I stared deeply into his spiraling eyeballs. Hey, final update time. So one of the especially fascinating things hiding in those CIA UFO files I can't stop talking about is the government's behind the scenes reactions to Leon Davidson snooping around their doorstep. In pretty quick order, it goes from we can probably just ignore this guy to borderline panic. I mentioned in an earlier update that Leon Davidson fired off a letter 
to the Office of Public Information seeking comment for an article he was planning to write about how the Air Force finally admitted that some UFO sightings were the result of secret military projects. Well, he wrote that article, and one of the first Davidson memos in the CIA files is about that article. I'll link to all of these documents in the show notes so you can read them for yourself. The letter about Davidson's article is from some unnamed person in the CIA to another unnamed person who I'm assuming is with the Air Force seeing as how those are the two main organizations involved here. After the Air Force apparently asked the CIA to respond to Davidson in some way that will get him to stop asking more questions, the CIA instead responds to the Air Force. And boy, are they salty about it. Here's a kind of long quote that I'd like to point out was written in all caps. We do not want any business with Davidson. If he wishes to contact the agency, he already knows enough names. We do not see that any purpose will be served by giving him any more names or addresses. In addition, it is felt that we would only encourage more speculation by him were we to contact him again or to offer him a new channel if he should contact us. So, unless there are overriding reasons in the future, we do not want to be involved in this mess. Sorry to leave it with you, but the only purpose which would be served by other action would be to get your office off the hook by involving someone else in a matter in which we want no involvement, end quote. And now just a reminder, the only reason Davidson wrote that article was because the Air Force eventually roundabout admitted that the U.S. military projects were the cause of some sightings. So the person writing this response kind of has a point about it not being their mess to clean up. The next fascinating piece of correspondence comes in the form of a letter to a dirty rat named Dr. Thornton Page. Why a rat? Because after Leon Davidson wrote him asking for information about something flying saucer related, Dr. Page sent a reply, but he also sent a copy of that reply to the CIA to let them know Davidson was asking questions. And this prompts a response from the CIA where they ask Dr. Thornton Page an important question. What the hell does Leon Davidson want anyway? Because up to this point, apparently, one of the world's premier intelligence gathering agencies could not get a handle on what Davidson wanted and why he wanted that report declassified in full. And apparently someone, maybe Dr. Page, told them. Because the next correspondence of interest is a reply to a letter from Minnesota Congressman Joseph Karth. And by this point... They're on to what Davidson's real goal is. Here's a quote from their letter. Mr. Davidson believes that the Central Intelligence Agency is withholding information from him, which would prove that this agency is, to quote his letter to you, solely responsible for creating the flying saucer Fuhrer. He believes further that this information is contained in the Scientific Advisory Panel Report on UFOs dated January 17th, 1953. And they also used the opportunity to contradict themselves by telling Karth that they worked with the Air Force to investigate flying saucers, but then every other correspondence to anyone about Davidson's questions make it super clear that the CIA doesn't want their name attached to this research at all, and especially not that 1953 panel report. And I think that raises an obvious question. If Leon Davidson wasn't onto something here, what explains the CIA wanting to distance themselves from that panel report? Because at every turn, the official reply in regards to that report was that it concluded that UFOs weren't anything we needed to worry about. So what's the harm in having your name associated with something like that? Whatever the motivation... There is no doubt the CIA was very motivated to get this Leon Davidson problem to go away without declassifying that panel report or letting on that they were involved with it at all. That's evidenced by the fact that they convened three separate meetings, all documented in memos in these files, to talk about what to do about his questions. In lieu of reading their ideas and plans verbatim, I'll just tell you that they essentially amounted to, at least at first, ignore his letters and maybe get the FBI involved to see if Leon Davidson is a spy. That last part is weird, considering we're talking about the CIA here. If anyone is going to sniff out someone working at the behest of a foreign government, you'd think it would be them. But far be it for me to suggest that they might have had ulterior motives for wanting to send a whole other gun-toting law enforcement agency to Leon Davidson's door. But then, there's also a whole other set of memos and letters pertaining to another mystery Leon Davidson was trying to solve. Here is the fascinating opening line of that letter. 
Leon Davidson is on our backs again. He wants a verbatim translation of the space message and the identification of the transmitter from which it came. Yeah, that's right. Space message. There are all sorts of documents in these CIA UFO files that mention what is alleged to be a recording of some kind of message sent from outer space. It surfaced in 1955, and some of the earliest of those CIA UFO files deal with the agency trying to get a copy of this recording. At one point, it mentions that the people in possession of it, quote, prized the original wire recording too highly to relinquish it even to the government, end quote. And somehow Leon Davidson got wind of this too and started demanding more details. What's funny is how the Air Force seems to keep doing the wrong shit when it comes to silencing this guy. If you recall, it was their possibly accidental admission that some UFO sightings were actually military projects that got Davidson riled up in the first place. In the case of the space message, the first reply Davidson received was from a U.S. Air Force Captain Wallace Elwood, where he assured Davidson that the message in question was actually just easily identifiable Morse code from an earthly source and nothing to worry about at all. And how they didn't see what happened next coming from light years away is beyond me. Because this response left Davidson asking the question that you all probably want to ask right now too, which is, well, if it was easily identifiable Morse code, what did it say? Again, how do you not see that follow-up question coming? Of course, he asked what the message said and where it came from, because the Air Force just told him, we can decipher it and we know where it came from. Interestingly enough, this apparently put all involved agencies in quite a bind, because they had no interest in actually answering that question, which again, pretty weird. The CIA in particular was not impressed with the Air Force response. Here's how their letter about it ends. Davidson is no fool, and it appears that the Air Force is treating him as one if they think he can be satisfied with a standard operating procedure such as Captain Elwood's. So this turns into a whole debacle where Davidson writes a whole other article about how he's been asking about this space recording for more than a year and is getting no response. And you know what? He never gets that response. And the files never say what that space message was or where it came from. But there is a memo from the Air Force Technical Intelligence Center advising the CIA that no translation of this recording exists. In other words, it definitely wasn't Morse code. In fact, the closest thing he gets to a reply is a phone call documented in a memo advising him that the information he seeks about the space recording isn't available because all records relating to it had been destroyed. There's also a startling moment of honesty in the memo about that phone call. Here's a quote. We appreciate that there have been many cooks in the kitchen on this dish, and that, as a result, the extraordinarily non-committal and evasive answer we were instructed to give Davidson was perhaps the only one possible if we were to avoid crossing up previous statements of our own and other involved agencies to this man. But the answer was hardly fair to Davidson and one not likely to be fully accepted by him. Man, all I can tell you is I really want to hear that space message now. I mean, it's not like I'd be able to make sense of whatever bleeps and bloops and rushing wind noises it is, but still seems interesting. And anyway, like I said, I'll link to all of these letters and memos in the show notes. Let's finish this podcast out. In between the Robertson panel coming out and Blue Book issuing this report number 14, Pelt leaves and Blue Book is taken over just by a series of people who just don't give a shit. Like the government... It basically becomes government policy that Blue Book is now debunking UFO stories as opposed to researching them, which, again, nothing weird about that. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing off about that at all. And last thing we'll talk about quick, the Condon Committee. This is what finally kills Project Blue Book. Yeah. And it was funded by the Air Force, carried out at the University of Colorado UFO Project, formed after 1966 congressional hearings about another outbreak of UFO sightings. I believe these were in Connecticut. And it was directed by physicist Edward Condon. That research produced the Condon Report in 1968, 1,485 pages in hardcover, 965 in paperback, released January 1969. 
I mean, obviously at 1,400 pages, there's a lot to dig through, but (laughs) this was the general thesis of that study. Our general conclusion is that nothing has come from the study of UFOs in the past 21 years that has added scientific knowledge. Careful consideration of the record as it is available to us leads us to conclude that further extensive study of UFOs probably cannot be justified in the expectation that science will be advanced thereby. And this is one of the defining moments in UFO research history, because this is the moment where every fucking, like, skeptic, borderline skeptic, like, scientist, anyone, this is their thing that they point to and go, see, this guy studied it, and he says it's not true. Well, fucking Project Blue Book studied it. Project Sign studied it for a year and was like, no, it's real. Seems true. So... How do you decide who you believe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it was, but it's it's still to this day pointed to as the the thing that basically killed UFO research yeah. Yeah, well, in this country. Project Blue Book itself was more interesting from almost like an office work standpoint. Yeah. Like imagine your day job for years and years just being to go into work and look at UFO reports <laughs> and decide I did it what's for free real and most what's of my not. life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it's the Condon report that eventually kills it. And to this day, the Air Force's uh, standard answer, if they're asked about Project Blue Book and what they found, no UFO reported, investigated, and evaluated by the Air Force was ever an indication of a threat to our national security. It's pretty comforting. There was no evidence submitted to or discovered by the Air Force that sightings categorized as unidentified represented technological developments or principles beyond the range of modern scientific knowledge. And there was no evidence indicating that sightings categorized as unidentified were extraterrestrial vehicles. Well, there you have it. And and Major Friend was not a (laughs) 12-foot-tall alien from the planet Umo in a suit. There's a lot more to Project Blue Book, obviously, but we don't have... We don't have all goddamn day. I do. I Tweet really at me do. at Rivers Langley. If you want to talk Project Blue Book, baby, I'm down to talk. I find it. I find it really fascinating. It's really the only kinds of conspiracy theories that I can even engage with because now they're all so boring. It's just the Jews, and it's <laughs> yeah. like that's so such a boring conspiracy. Yeah, it's theory. like at least make them lizards. Yeah, exactly. Uh, George Soros is uh, <laughs> it's he's paying to make people say that they're mad at the, the president. Yeah, and that that's paid protest. These are like sure. those are like the hot conspiracies. Mm, no, and it sucks. We need to return to the nineties when the hot conspiracies were about Area Fifty One. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's our episode about Project Blue Book. Go out and uh, just fucking Google it. Yeah. Read, read up it. more on it. Uh, be careful. That second link for Project Blue Book, if you Google it, definitely a porn site that's going to give you some viruses. <laughs> I don't remember if it was Project Sign or Project Blue Book, but I was like <laughs> just starting to, to Google, and the second link, like the second <laughs> fucking Google search was this totally like fraudulent, oh, UFO evidence. And I click it, and it's like my fucking screen just lights up with, hey, you've won $10,000. Sounds conspiratorial. And, yeah. Hey, and They're this... just putting those pop-ups as a distraction. So you don't notice the shit yeah. they're actually doing. I looked down. My keyboard was mutilated. Someone cored out its asshole. Really weird. Uh, my tower's thyroid. <laughs> this uh, this episode is going to be really timely though because the History Channel is making a drama series called Project Blue Book. Oh yes, and it's it, their main character is going to be uh, Doctor J. Allen Hynek. So that's awesome. Uh, could be really interesting. I I'm sure Olivia. I'm sure you're on board as much as I am with that. And then I believe if it isn't already out, it's coming out. They're doing a Jack Parsons show. As oh, well. nice! Oh, yeah, I saw yeah, a billboard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Strange Angel, I think. Yeah. So who's playing Jack? Parsons. I, I just saw it on a billboard as I was driving, and I was like, "Yeah, that's I'm another s- thing that I've it, always thought would make a good show." Yeah, you, you and I are simpatico in our yeah. appreciation of uh, mid-century modern weirdness. Yeah, totally, and it's all <laughs> coming true. The world's ending, but we're getting some good TV. Goddamn. Yeah. It. Hey, there you go. Uh, what do we have to plug before we get out of here uh patreon.com slash unpops you can get two bonus yeah. episodes of this podcast every month including last week's episode patreon only which yeah. is about project sign yeah that's right which was out. a precursor to project blue book <coughs> it was uh, a prequel. 
Olivia, what do you got to plug? Uh, you can uh, check out my Twitter at HiTheRHiDar. It's H-A-I-D-A-R. And I talk about a lot of bullshit. Danger. Hi, yeah. Uh, uh, go to patreon.com slash countless thousands. We are launching a Patreon to support writing a punk rock musical called Election. A punk rock. or Sorry. Election. A post-apocalyptic musical. It's going to be awesome. It's really great. We also just released uh, a new song called Space Nazis Must Die. Guest verse from Professor Elemental all the way from England. It's really good. It's really good. It's my favorite song. That Don't done. you feel like focusing on space Nazis when there's so many ground Nazis is sort of irresponsible? I think it's a, you know I think it's a really good bridge for a lot of people to say, okay, you know, we can definitely kill the space Nazis. Maybe we can then have a conversation because there's a lot of people who think that they're still good on both sides. Mm. Adam, the, the good on both sides of the Nazi slash non-Nazi debate. We feel otherwise, but I think that we could probably get some of those folks to open up and uh, remember. Man, you're really talkative 70, on this part of the podcast. Seventy <laughs> years. Well, I, I mean, I weird. I've been looking into that kind of thing. That is so weird. I read a book once, and we talked about it earlier. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get the fuck out of here, Olivia. Say goodbye. Olivia, say goodbye. <laughs> oh, wait, can I plug? Oh. <laughs> Oh, that's right. You haven't plugged anything. No, I was trying to very kind of. <laughs> you, yeah. No, you cannot. I don't want to tell them I'm going to be in Nashville. Uh, Ooh, yeah. I love Nashville. Look I out love for Nashville UFOs. too. Oh yeah, yeah. Not too. I'm going to have to drive through Fife, Alabama. This is a very famous. Uh, Rest in peace, Fife. Uh huh. Fife dog. <laughs> this is a uh, fife that bill hicks references actually on uh where he's like i can't believe that aliens go to a place like fife alabama like uh, some intergalactic jode family <laughs> uh but uh no uh yeah so you can uh, find me on facebook uh or uh, no don't don't look for me on facebook no that's my <laughs> yeah, shit that's gross uh twitter and instagram at rivers langley you can check out my podcast it's called the goods from the woods it comes out every tuesday on itunes google play soundcloud all the stuff and uh if you live down south i'm doing a couple of dates in december find me in nashville at the the Third Coast Comedy Club on Saturday, December 22nd. And the night before that, I'll be at Standard Deluxe in Waverly, Alabama with a bunch of straight killers from the ATL. We're going to have a great comedy show out in the middle of goddamn nowhere. I'm glad Standard Deluxe is still around after yeah. what happened to Super Deluxe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Super Deluxe got way too ambitious. Yeah. Standard yeah. Deluxe. Exactly. All right. Now, can we get out of here? Yeah. Good. Now that it's not rude. (laughs) (laughs) Olivia, say goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Rivers, say goodbye. Goodbye. Danger. Bye, guys. Say goodbye. We we love you. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. We love you. People of Earth, your planet is about to be destroyed.